Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. We're beginning a series uh, today, honestly, that was sort of, um, I wanted to do it last year and felt like uh, I didn't have uh, the go-ahead from the Lord to do that, and, uh, and this year uh, we, we, we feel like we, we do, and so um, it's just interesting. You can't plan uh, all of these things. We're not great at planning anyway. I'm not. Uh, others on the staff are great at planning and tell me how bad I am at it. Uh, but we couldn't plan all of this, and it just seems like this is where the Lord is moving us. We're just we're moving into this into this uh, season of finding freedom, of finding uh, healing, of finding deliverance, and it's really exciting. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm just really excited. So we're, we are starting our new uh, series today, and it's called uh, Facing Scarecrows, and I'll explain that in a minute. And it's it's uh, it's going to go for the next um, nine weeks, uh, right up and through. Uh, to Advent. So I'm excited about that. And, and I want to preface it by, by, by saying, like, when we, when we speak here and we prepare sermons, we study, we, we, we try to hear from the Lord and, uh, and all of that, the primary function that we're, we're trying to reach is that we're, we're wanting to step into a process uh, of renewing our minds, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term or not, but, but renewing our minds is, uh, is biblical. And if you, if you look at Romans uh, 12, 2, we're going to have that on the screen here. Uh, Andrew, you can throw that first verse up. Uh, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that it good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This, this word transform is the same word as the transfiguration that Jesus experienced. It's talked about uh, on the mountain uh, when he walked the earth. The idea is, is that we're to be transformed by renewing our minds. And this may be a strange concept, but this is the entire ballgame when it comes to this Christian life, is that we're going through a process of, of changing the way we think about things. And so you'll often hear this sort of language uh, as, as we go through, but, but the whole idea is that, listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, if, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus and he is your Lord, then Paul calls you a saint. He, he says, he writes his letters to the saints. And then he talks about all of the terrible things these saints are doing. They don't seem to be acting like saints. And the point is, is that you're a saint now who sins not a sinner who's aspiring to be a saint. So it's, it's sort of a, a twist in where is our starting point? And it has to do with identity. It has to do with what we call ourselves and what God calls us. And he calls us his children and he calls us saints. And so the process of renewing our mind is this process of learning what do I now do as a saint, as a new creation? You're not becoming a new, you're a new creation. And this process of renewing our mind is unlearning the ways of the world, of the kingdom of darkness, and learning the ways of the kingdom of God. Learning God's ways. And scripture talks about this all over. They call it the mountain of the Lord, and we're learning his ways. And, 
And as we go and, and we learn his ways, we fall deeper in love with him and, and, and our relationship with him changes and we become more and more like him. And, and it's a process that scriptures also call sanctification. And sanctification is, me, is, is, is called to be saint-like. That's the literal definition of sanctification. And so this process of sanctification is the idea of saying we're renewing our minds to learn to act like who we already are. And so we're learning, this is who we are now. We're a new creation. We're born again. Okay, so we're new. We're made new, if you've trusted in Jesus. And now we're learning to act like it. Uh, I have some friends in this church. Hopefully all of you know them. If not, you should take time to get to know them. Uh, It's Howie Bolton who sits uh, back here and and Jack Bolton here. um, Who's I like Jack better than I like Howie, but I like Howie a lot. And Howie's wife, Jenny, I like even more than I like Howie, but um, they're just incredible people. And, and, and Howie has all of these uh, amazing sayings uh, that he, you know, that he cuts through and he, he says these things. And one of the things I love so much that he says, and the way that he describes this process is that we've been, and I might get it wrong, Howie, so, but he says we've been simmering in the devil's stew. So in other words, we've grown up in this life that is kind of controlled by the kingdom of darkness. I mean, that's, that's the whole play that, that Jesus is taking us through in the Gospels is that there are, there are two kingdoms here. We know who wins. Uh, it's God. But there's two kingdoms at play, and, and Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. And so he sort of got his fingers into a lot of different things. And, and we know that, that we've learned a lot of bad habits. We've learned a lot of bad thoughts. We've, we've just sort of been ingrained with the devil's stew. And when we marinate in that long enough, we take on the flavors. And what we have to do now is say, well, I'm no longer in that, but I have to unlearn all of these things that I knew. That's what renewing your mind means. And Jesus says this a lot when he says to repent. That means to rethink, unlearn, think differently, think again, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so this series is about renewing our minds specifically. It's about taking uh, the different lies that the enemy uses and and beginning to look at them from a sanctified position. And so we're we're using our kingdom eyes, we're learning how to use our kingdom eyes and our thought process to see the tools and the tricks that the enemy is using to keep us in bondage. Because here's the deal, he couldn't stop us from becoming saints. And he uses all of his tricks to keep us from living the life of a saint, from living the life of freedom, from living the life uh, above guilt and shame and fear. And he uses those tools and those tactics to try and keep us in bondage. If he can't kill, he'll steal. And if he can't kill, he'll destroy. And what he wants to do is destroy our purpose, our destiny, and our freedoms that we have in Christ. Paul's crazy about this throughout the entire New Testament. He goes on and on and on and on and on. And he says, this is who you are. This is who you were. You're not that person anymore. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint who sins. Let's figure out how that's going on and begin to renew our mind. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we'll attain some sort of level of semi-divinity or anything like that. But what it means is, is that our identities have been changed. And it's up to us to learn how to start acting as such. And so essentially everything that we bring 
is to try and say, okay, let's, let's continue to undo the thoughts, continue to undo the, the things. I mean, the, there's so many analogies to this, right? I mean, I mean think, you know, think the princess uh, who didn't know she was a princess, and now she's, she's been told, hey, you're a princess now, and she's been a commoner, and she has to learn now to act like royalty. Those stories resonate with us. You know, think, think you know, Harry Potter under the, under the, the staircase. You know, he's got to learn now that's not who he is. He's someone else. I mean, these stories resonate with us because it is us. And so this series is really focused on that. And it's, it's called... Uh, chasing scarecrows, or facing scarecrows. I was going to call it chasing scarecrows. And again, you know, what you're supposed to do when you lead things is you get people better and smarter around you. And so we did that. And Corey is on staff with us. And he said, you know, scarecrows don't move. And I was like, that's true. (laughs) So we call it facing scarecrows. So if I say chasing, it's just because I've been thinking about that too long. But it's it's called facing scarecrows. And, and the reason it's called Facing Scarecrows, it's strange, but I heard this metaphor uh, from another vineyard pastor, his name's Alan Scott, uh, who used to pastor in Ireland, he now pastors the Anaheim Vineyard uh, in California, and, and I heard him say this maybe three years ago, and it just, it was the perfect explanation of this renewing your mind, of this process. Uh, if you've been in School of Kingdom Ministry, we talk about this a lot, so this might just tune out while I catch everyone else up, okay? Um, the whole idea with, with this facing scarecrows thing is just imagine, we're going to do an exercise, okay? So just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes, right? You don't have to if you don't want to. I know, but you can, you can do it. And imagine that you're a bird, okay? You're a bird and you're flying and you're hungry. And you see a field. And in that field, you know is food, and as you're, as you're seeing the field, uh, that it has the promise of food and sustenance and life for you, you also see what looks to be a large man standing in the field. And you've learned that you should be scared of large men because you're a small bird. And what you do is you listen to that fear and you go to the next place and to the next place. And before you know it, you're living in scarcity, you're malnourished, and you've been kept out of your fields of promise by a scarecrow. But if a bird was smart, you can open your eyes now. If a bird, thank you, by the way, that was great. I'm going to do more of that interactive stuff. Uh, but if, if a bird was intelligent, if a bird knew, they would only look for scarecrows. Because scarecrows actually signify there's food here. And, and, and you would go towards the scarecrow knowing and understanding that in this field lay a promise. And so this metaphor is for us. The enemy really can't do anything too original. And we all have fields of promise. We have promises over our lives. We have destinies in our lives. We have just freedom in our lives. These giant fields of promise. And to keep us out of those fields, the enemy throws up scarecrows. And he throws up scarecrows and their fears. And they're different fears that he uses to keep us away. And this process of renewing our mind is learning to see and spot these scarecrows for what they are. It's sort of beacons of, hey, there's, there's good things here. If, the, if there's fear, we know that fear isn't from the Lord. Did you know that? He didn't give us a spirit of fear. Well, who did? Must be the other guy. And so if we're feeling fear, 
then we need to begin to look at that from a renewed point of view and say, aha, this is potentially a scarecrow that I need to examine because there might be some life here. There might be promise here. And so we're going to look at nine different fears that we feel like are sort of central to humanity, that we feel like the Lord has, uh, has revealed and he's constantly trying to undo the works of the enemy through this, that he is beginning to show us these fears that are keeping us from our promise. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to look at the different fears, the different aspects of our lives, the different, the different things that the Lord is calling us into. And we're going to try to study these and look at these uh, from a renewed mind perspective. Uh, we're going to look at different characters and different stories throughout the scriptures uh, that show us sort of what it looks like to, to go by this. And so we're going to start today with what may be a central fear, what may be a fear that I think we all struggle with. I know that some of us will struggle with these fears more than others, but I really believe that all of us, these fears will touch. And, and so we're going to, to talk today about the fear of being out of control. The fear of not being in control of our life, the fear of not being in control of our circumstances, the fear of being out of control in our finances, of whatever it is, we're a people who crave control. We, we just, we want to be in control. And we fear, desperately fear, being in a position where we have to open our hands and just sort of jump out on a ledge. It's really difficult. And so in order to talk through this, we're going to be looking at the story of, uh, of Gideon, and that's going to be found in Judges 6 and 7. We're going to be kind of bouncing around through different scriptures uh, as we do that, but you can pull that up or, or turn to it if you'd like uh, as a guide, because Gideon, I think, is a perfect example of someone who is learning that being out of control might actually be what God is calling him into. So this fear, this scarecrow, is of losing control, and it's in a field of promise, and we're going to look at Gideon discovering this promise and see the, the loss of control. If you're not too familiar with the story of Gideon, um, the, uh, the Israelites have been attacked. They've been hemmed in. Uh, there are all of these different enemies that are encamping around them, and they're stealing their food. They're coming in and destroying their crops. So the people of God are starving. Um, they're, they're beaten down, uh, and they're, honestly, they're tired. And, and the scriptures tell us that this is because they've begun to trust other gods. They've begun to, to worship other gods. And, and so this is something that the Lord is doing to teach them, hey, there's, there's one you can trust, and there's one that you can't. And so the story opens in, in Judges 6 with, with we see Gideon. And, and at this time, right, there's a famine. And if they find any food, they'll take it and they'll steal it. And so it's really scarce. And so Gideon is, uh, is he's, he's in a wine press and he's like threshing wheat and grain. And so he's just hiding out, trying to come up with some sustenance. And, and we have him and he's approached by uh, an angel of the Lord. And he's called out. And so we'll... Uh, we'll start there in Judges uh, 6, 12. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Which is comical. But, I mean, I think the Lord has a sense of humor. And I've heard a lot of people say this is the Lord's irony in that. I don't think so. I think the Lord knows who he's called. And I think the Lord knows that he's saying, Hey, I don't care what this looks like here. 
but I know who I created you to be, and you're a mighty man of valor. And it seems laughable. I don't think he's saying it as a joke. Because I think the Lord is looking into our futures, into our purpose that he designed and he created before he created the earth. He's got good works for us to do and purpose. And he's calling it out. And he's saying, you don't look like it. Your circumstances don't look like it. In fact, Gideon, this is sort of like, you know, the crux of trying to have control over something. He's got a little bit of food and he's hiding out, trying to make the sustenance. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, mighty man of valor. And he calls him and he begins to tell him about uh, all of the things that he's called to do. And so he gives him these instructions. We'll skip down to verse 14. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this mind of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So again, it's sort of a play. He's, he's saying, listen, there's a might that you have, but it's, it's the might because he sent, the Lord has sent him. And so even here, the angel of the Lord is saying, look, you have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have a calling, but it's because I'm sending you. It's because the Lord is behind you, the Lord is with you, the Lord is moving you into that. And so he's saying, now go, with the might that you have, because I have sent you. It's an assurance, but it's also a challenge, because again, Gideon doesn't seem like the right candidate. In fact, the scriptures go on to tell us that he was the least, and the least family at the least tribe, and you know, the weakest, and all of that sort of stuff. It's just the most improbable caricature uh, that, that could go to lead Israel out of captivity. We'll go down to 16. And, it, and the angel of the Lord says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Again, this is the Lord saying, Listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Over and over again, he's assuring him, I've sent you, I've called you, I'm with you. And this is important because as we're looking at these fears that crop up, it's important to understand and believe the things that we may know, like, we know this verse, probably, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the Lord. But for the most part, we don't believe it. I mean, you know, if we believed it, we would act differently. And so what, this, what he's teaching Gideon here, and what he's teaching us, by the way, is that if he's called us to something, if he's released a word over you, if he's calling you into promise, then that means that there is enough in that word, in that command, to fulfill it. So in other words, if he's calling you to something and he's with you, then you will be able to accomplish what he has in store for you. It can't be thwarted because he's with you. And again, the angel of the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I've sent you. I've called you. Verse 34, it goes down. It says, but the spirit of the Lord then came upon Gideon, and then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. So not only was he with him and sent him and, and called him, then the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he's able to do these. See, the whole time in this conversation, you can go back and read it, Gideon is, is going back and forth with this miraculous angel of the Lord and saying, you know, ah, I, don't, I don't think so. You know, here are all the reasons. And he's describing, so to speak, this scarecrow in great detail. And he's saying, you, you're not seeing the picture here, Lord. You, you don't understand what you're calling me into because if you did, I, you would know that I'm not capable to do this. And again, the, the angel of the Lord is saying, like, this is, this is what I'm calling you to do. So much so that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, which sounds awesome. Until you realize that now in the new covenant, the Spirit of the Lord is inside of us. 
And so a lot of times when we're reading the Old Testament or reading these, these stories, you can do one or two things, typically. You can begin to look at them and sort of idolize them as these heroes, and you'll sort of do away with all of the terrible details that, that the scriptures list about these people. Um, or you can begin to see that these people are a little bit of a shadow of what is actually available to us. You see, the, when, when Jesus rose and he ascended, he poured out his spirit on all flesh. And we're, we're now able to, to have the spirit of the Lord. Well, in these stories, it was this one particular instance at this one particular time, and it's sort of a, a flashback of what could be. It's really interesting if you begin to see, hey, Gideon is sort of a picture for us. Because, yeah, he had the Spirit of the Lord on him, but we have him in us as his dwelling place. And so then, how much more are we called to accomplish? How much more are we mighty men and women of valor? How much more is the Lord pressing us into things? And as we begin to read and study the Old Testament stories, we see them not necessarily as, as heroes, but as pictures of who we can become even more. Because, because at a time, the Lord only spoke through the prophets. And we saw a dim revelation of the Lord, as Hebrews tells us. But now, we have a fullness with Jesus. And so now, we're actually living in a time that these people that the scriptures call the cloud of witnesses, are gathered around very excited about because we now have unfettered access to the throne of God. It's incredible. Again, it's renewing our mind and understanding who we are. And so if we put ourselves as Gideon here, if we see ourselves as, as Gideon, we see like, okay, we can understand how this can look ridiculous to the Lord. Like, like the Lord the whole time is saying, listen, I'm, I'm gonna do it. Right? You don't have to worry about your abilities, your talents, your, your pedigree. You don't have to worry about how you're going to figure this out. I'm going to do it. Another thing you'll find if, as you read this story, and I really encourage you this week to go back and read, it's just two chapters, is that you'll find that the Lord is so gracious with Gideon. Like Gideon, I mean, he doubts the whole time. And, and the Lord doesn't really get that angry with him. He's so kind. And, and he meets him, and Gideon throws out these tests. And he, and he throws out this miraculous test um, where he lays out a fleece and he says, you know, if you can make, um, I'll get him confused, if you make the fleece wet and the ground dry in the morning, then I'll know it's you. And he comes out and he does that. It's either one or the other. And, then he, and so then it's like, that's still not enough. And so he's like, well, let's reverse it. And if you can make the ground wet and the fleece dry, this piece of um, sheep uh, fur, if you can make this dry and the ground wet, um, then maybe I'll know it's you. And so he just does this over and over again. And then, and then the Lord, like, he calls him again, and he's like, look, I know you're still really freaking out about this. Go down to the camp. You're going to hear someone. They're going to have a dream, and you'll, you'll know again that it's me. Because the Lord is constantly trying to tell Gideon, listen, I'm not worried about you. I've got this. And we want to control. We want to have things figured out. We want to have an understanding of how this is going to play out. We wanna know our five-year plan. We wanna know where we're going and how this is going to work out before we really get too far down the road because we don't wanna be foolish. And so we're gonna to need to know. And the thing is about God is like he gives you a peace, but only that peace that passes understanding. 
right? So if you're looking for his peace, you have to let go of your right to understand and he gives you your peace. And he says, great, thanks for letting go of that. Thanks for losing control because it's my peace. And we're people that want to have things figured out. We wanna have all of the answers. And the thing that I find when I sit with Jesus is on my journey with Jesus and the more that I've, I've grown to know Jesus and trust Jesus and love Jesus, the thing that I continue to come up against is that he's bigger than me. And there's so much that I don't know. And it's like the more that I find out about him, the more I'm like, wow, I don't even know how this works. And it's a, it's a comfortableness that we have to begin to cultivate with mystery, with the mysteries of the Lord. And there's certain things that are above our prey grade that he's not going to tell us. I mean, he could have told Gideon, look, here's how it's going to go down. But his point wasn't really with Gideon doing the work of the Lord. His point was with Gideon beginning to learn how to trust the Lord. Like the Lord didn't need Gideon to do what he did. And he makes that painfully obvious through the story. Because Gideon doesn't even raise a sword. So the way it works is that the Lord says, okay, here's what you're gonna do. And, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and he, he blows these trumpets and then like all of these armies like come to him. They're like, yes, we're with you, which is pretty miraculous. And so he's leading this army and, and he's under the, the power and the Spirit of the Lord and he begins to move out into that. And the Lord says, you know what? There's too much, there's too many people, which is again counterintuitive. And so he says, let's, let's get some of these people away. And so he, he calls the people. And then what he does then is he, he says, you know what? There's still too many people. And so he again moves the people out until it's 300 people. And so by this you're thinking, man, these 300 people, maybe this is like David's mighty men, like these people are going to be just like jacked and, and supernatural and, and, and they're gonna defeat these thousands of people. Maybe that's what it's gonna be. I think if I were to get in, I was gonna say, this could be pretty cool. Like we could, you know, he assured me, then he, he gives him a dream and so he's assuring him through this whole process. And then when it finally comes down to it, they break some pots. Like that's how they defeat the enemies is that they circle the enemy and they take these clay pots and break them and the people start killing themselves and fighting each other. I mean, there's literally nothing that Gideon did at all throughout this process. Like nothing except for trust, except for being obedient, except for carrying out the commands that the Lord had given him and saying like, like this is where I'm leading you to. And if, if Gideon, if us, if we were trying to sit down and figure out how are we going to defeat these people, I don't think we could have come up with the pots. Like, give us 10 or 15 years, I would have never come up with a pot. Like, what if we just circle them and break the pots? You think that'll work? I mean, nobody's going to come up with that. And that's kind of how God works, is, is he wants there to be, like, like no kidding, I did this, God did this. And the more that we become comfortable with that as followers of Jesus, the more that we're gonna to get to participate with him in incredible things. Because the more that we're say, we just say yes, if we can just give God a blank check for yes, and just say whatever you're calling me to, I'm just gonna say yes, I'm not gonna fight it, then we'll get to participate with him in a lot of different things. You know, Gideon had a choice. He had a choice of whether or not he was going to go through with this. 
And I don't know how it all works, but I'm sure there were other Gideons that God had in mind. But there was a specific way that the Lord wanted to deliver the people of Israel through Gideon. He could deliver them and does deliver them multiple ways. But this specific way was designed for Gideon. I mean, this pot-breaking thing. You know, he, like, I picture him just before the creation of the world. He was like, listen, one day, pots. And he's looking at, at Jesus, and he's looking at the Spirit, and he's like, seriously, we're going to use pots and trumpets. It's going to be awesome. And if Gideon had said, no, I need to figure this out, or let me train first, or let me, let me get some, some more experience under my belt with leading, or, or whatever, he would have missed out on the pots. Because again, he didn't do anything. He just got to experience it. And that's kind of the kingdom of God. I mean, that's the whole picture, is that you don't do it. You don't save yourself. You don't become better. Like, the gospel is receive. And, and receiving means that we're, we're almost passively ah, with what he's calling us to. And when you begin to try and, like, do things, that's when you sort of get hung up in your own stuff. And because the enemy has been around for a while, at least longer than me, he understands that if he can put this fear of being out of control in this incredible field of promise, then he's going to keep us from experiencing our own forms of deliverance and salvation like Gideon got to experience for the people of Israel. We're going to miss out on the pots. And what I love to do is I love to talk about incredible stories of the Lord. And that's why this, like, like there's, there's a power in our testimonies of the things that the Lord did. There's a release that happens when, when, we, when we share the testimonies of Jesus and what he's brought us through. There is this release that happens because what it does is it unlocks trust. And people begin to say, maybe I can trust. Maybe I can let go. I mean, that's, that's losing control, is trusting. Right? Being out of control means that you're trusting. You're trusting the Lord with your life. You're trusting the Lord with your circumstances. And, and the enemy has done a really good job at keeping us afraid to trust. He uses all kinds of things, our past. He uses uh, people in our lives that have let us down. Uh, he, he uses our circumstances. He uses our failures. He uses all of these things to cause us to fear being out of control. That's why our enemy isn't flesh and blood. It's not those people, right? Those people are just being used by the enemy to keep us from our promise. And so what we have to learn is we have to look at those things. What are we afraid of about losing control? I mean, like, name him. What are we afraid of that we're, that we're so scared to trust him that he's not going to take care of us? I mean, he promises that. And if he can't fulfill that one, what's worth the other ones? There's this thing that Jesus says that you have to lose your life to find it. You, ha you have to let go. You have to be willing I'm going to trust you. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, the way that the, that the Israelites could have defeated 
their enemy was through the blood of Gideon. It could have been some sort of crazy, like he lays his life and, and like he takes the final blow and someone comes up and Gideon didn't know. But we do. There's been one who has already given his life. There's been one who was slain for us. And so we understand that because of Jesus, we can now enter into this field of promise without fear. And whatever he's doing, he's working it out for our good. Whatever we're experiencing at some point in the end will be worked for our good. And so as uh, someone else I've heard says, if, if it's really bad now, it's not the end. Because at the end, we will have good. But we have to understand that this scarecrow, this fear of being out of control is keeping us from our purpose. We build safe walls. We, we, we keep things safe and clean and neat and we live within those boundaries and those parameters, and we never get to experience the adventure and the incredible purpose that lies within really following Jesus with everything, with really letting go, with really opening our hands, with giving him a yes before he asks. He wants your obedience, not your sacrifice. And so we just have to be willing at all times to lose it. That's why Paul talks about dying daily. If you're really dead, you got nothing to lose. And so as we're looking at this fear of being in control, of not being in control, and this, this element of control that just, that just what are we gonna do? How are we gonna, how are we gonna live? How are we gonna eat? How are we, those things are good things, right? The enemy, what he does is he takes good things and then he perverts them and turns them into fearful things. So you, you shouldn't be foolish. You should do everything that you can do to, to live well. I mean, there's all kinds of verses and scriptures that, that talk about that. Just read Proverbs. But your safety and security does not come before his words. Your plans don't supersede his. And he's so kind and he's so loving. He's not going to force you to do something you're not wanting to do that way. I mean, he's, he's going to allow you to make choices. And so like every day, maybe a million times a day, we're confronted with a choice of losing it all, giving it to him, allowing him to do what he wants through us, or to remain safe and secure. And this is a big one. So because of that, right, so if that fear is driving you, then guess what? You're going to be panicked anytime any of your safety control devices malfunction. If, if you find your safety and security in your finances, then when the stock market dips and your 401k is worthless, what are you gonna do about retirement? You will panic. If you find your safety and security in relationships, and you've put all of your hope in this relationship, and if any thought of this relationship crumbling causes you to enter into a panic, then there's your fear. It's your fear of losing that control because we set up things to keep control of our lives because as we've said before, there really is nothing we have control over. I mean, nothing. You can't control uh, whether or not you get sick from some sort of crazy illness. You can't control what other drivers do on the road. You can't control the stock market. You can't control anything. 
I mean, that's reality. That's why the scarecrows aren't real. Right? The scarecrows don't have eyes, they don't have ears, they don't see, they don't say anything. It's just these, these markers that the enemy throws out to give us fear. And it's like, yeah, you're right, you have no control. But for some reason, we're afraid of something that really already exists. And the Lord is saying, it's time to renew your mind. It's time to renew your mind and to begin to see this fear of losing control as a device that the enemy is using to keep you from fulfilling your promise, to keep you from entering into your destiny. And so the challenge is, is that we begin to look for that fear. Like a renewed mind sees the fear. It doesn't mean that you don't experience fear, but it sees the fear for what it is. And you notice the fear as an indicator almost as a lighthouse, to say, maybe the Lord's in this. I rarely get called to do something that I'm very comfortable in doing, I've noticed. I mean, there's a reason the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. If you're comfortable, you don't need him. If you're uncomfortable, hey, I need a comforter. And so where the Lord is calling us is into a place of uncomfortableness. And as we begin to identify, hey, that means there's promise. That means there's nourishment. That means that this could be where the Lord is leading me. Then we begin to look for those things and maybe even try to find those things. And we begin to risk more of being out of control. And as that happens, our faith continues to grow and we continue to, to move along. I mean, as Gideon was being stripped of all of these things, he kind of got to walk in greater, greater things. Right? As he agreed to say, okay, sure, pare down the, the army, he could have stopped there and said, no, nah, that probably was pizza. That probably wasn't the Lord I'm hearing. I'm not going to pare down the army anymore. And he could have gone and tried to fight. I don't know how that would have worked out for him. But because each time it's like his faith grew and the Lord was so gracious in giving him faith exercises and building his faith through the process, he got to experience an incredible thing. And we talk about it all the time. And so it is with us. We're learning to, to begin to trust, to begin to lose control, to begin to, to say, it's not my life anyway. It's yours. And the more that we begin to do this, the more that we enter into this, the more that we can begin to, to walk comfortable with the uncomfortable, the more we're gonna be able to experience the fullness of life that the Lord has planned for us. And I think somewhere we know this. This is why we like to watch movies about this sort of thing. Like we know, we know the folly of building these safe little lives, but we're so scared. And that fear is not from the Lord. That fear is from the enemy. And so the first thing you do is you say, Lord, would you give me faith? The second thing you do is you rebuke the fear. You tell the fear, you, this is illegal. I am the Lord's and he hasn't given me a spirit of fear, so go in Jesus' name. You begin to break off fear. The fear of being out of control. And as you do, you'll start to experience more freedom to be who you really are.
Because what happens is when you want to control things, you live a life way less than what you were created to be. You live a life worried, entangled, because the things you can control are so small, and it keeps you small. But the Lord is beckoning us to bang some pots. And he's calling us into a situation, a scenario, to blow some trumpets, to do something foolish that may confound the wise, to, to take a risk that seems stupid, but that's kind of how it looks. No one would say, yeah, the pots thing, great idea, let's do it. No one says that. And as you begin to look for areas that the Lord is asking us to stretch, to lose control, I mean, there's gonna be serious people that will say, hey, that's foolish. And what you need to do is find another brother or sister with a renewed mind as well, and they'll say, yeah, that seems crazy, but I don't know, that feels like the Lord. And there will be a peace that comes when you let understanding go. And it's the peace of the Lord is what you want to follow. So we're going to take some time. We have a prayer team. And, uh, and they're going to come and pray for you if you need prayer. And, and I think primarily what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to deal with this area of control. Where are things that we're just white-knuckling trying to control, and he's saying, if you would just open your hands, I can fill them. Like, he can fill your hands when they're open, but not when they're closed. Would you let go? I mean, he, he just, he tells me that all the time. Just, I need you to let go. I need you to lose control. When we, when we felt like the Lord was calling us to this church, to plant this church, and and do this, it became a prayer of like, Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with what you're doing here. Like, I don't want to be able to take credit. And he was like, trust me, I called you for the right reason. That's not going to be an issue. <laughs> but it's, it's just this idea of like, I want to be a part of like what you're doing. And what you're doing is so much bigger than anything that I can do. And if I'm worried about how I'm going to do this, then I think I'm missing the mark. And it's becoming uh, a signpost for me. Is that when I find myself wondering how I'm going to control these circumstances, I understand, oh, wait a minute, there's some promise here. Wait a minute, let me let go. Let me lose control. And let me give that back to you. And then you just get to experience the wonders of the Lord. You get to experience freedom, deliverance, and it's incredible. And so as we were going to worship one more time, and, and, and we're going to ask the Lord, would you show us, Holy Spirit, those areas in our lives that we're, we're white-knuckling this thing? I mean, it could, be, it could be like a forgiveness issue. A lot of times unforgiveness is you trying to take control over what someone did for, to you. And we know that for, unforgiveness only hurts ourselves. And so maybe it's unforgiveness. And the Lord is saying, could you give that to me? Could you lose control over that? It could be financially the Lord is calling you to, to, to do something. And you're so worried about how it's going to do. How, I mean, if I change jobs, I'm going to I'm vested and I'm going to lose this. And the Lord is saying, could you just give it to me? It could be a number of things. 
I promise you, each one of us has something. There's something that we're wanting to control. And I believe today he wants you to find freedom. He wants me to find freedom. And to begin to see this fear of losing control as a signpost into a field of promise. So if you could stand, we're going to worship. And once you feel like you have that, I mean, if the Holy Spirit does, does show you something that, hey, this is something that you're struggling with. This is an area that you really have a hard time laying, letting go of. Uh, you, can, you can pray at your seat. You can grab someone to pray beside you. We have people that will pray with you because it takes, it takes the faith of others sometime to begin to recognize and see and to say, okay, you know, and maybe the person that you go to pray with actually has a testimony of, hey, you know, I know this seems crazy, but look what, I, look what the Lord did, and this was unreal, and, and the, the testimony begins to unlock faith. And so I would just encourage you just as we, as we worship, just to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, and then if there is something that you need to pray for, I'll come back and, and we'll, we'll open this up. But don't wait for me. If you need to come down, we'll have people that come behind you. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you're so good, that you're here. We ask you to search our hearts. Even that's a scary prayer. We open ourselves up to you and say, would you show us where are we trying to hold on to control? What are those things that we're fearing letting go and letting you take? Where are there areas in our life that you want us to stretch, that you want us to step into the unknown? And Lord, we're sorry. We repent. It's so hard sometimes, but we know that you forgive us. And would you renew our minds and begin to change the way that we look at these circumstances? And so as they sing, just get quiet. And just ask the Lord, would you just bring to mind things? For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.